Good evening. It's 6 p.m. It's Sunday, February 21st. This is show number 159. Let's go. Good evening. Welcome. Welcome to the 159th show. I am your host, Gummo. And I'm Crash. And here we are. We are back for almost the 160th show. Almost. We're almost at that 200 mark. (laughs) (laughs) Will we make it? We'll make it. That is the question to be asked. We'll definitely make it. Welcome everyone to the show, and if you are new to the show, we wanted to welcome you to our little bit of craziness that we do once a week here. Mm. You know, it's just, you know, it's what we do. We just kind of... A little something, something. We, we, uh, you know... A little something, something. You know, I was, you know, hey, listen, uh, uh, before we get off into Neverland here, and, uh, you know, I was looking at the the numbers, and we've we've hit uh, a million subscribers. That's a lot. That's 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 a we, lot. We have we, we literally have a uh, a million downloads mm-hmm. each e- e- each month now. Unique and unique, yeah, unique. And so it's it's um, I don't know. It's it's kind of the milestone. It's you know it's, 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 it's something to celebrate. It is, and you know it's 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 not without people that you know give us feedback and and engage with us and say hey you know you guys you know when we started the the podcast years ago you know we we, you know we we were learning as we you know we were learning how to do a podcast we were learning how to you know you were you know we we were all all the engineering everything everything we were just learning how to put a put an actual radio show together yeah and and uh we're we're still learning we're still evolving Mm -hmm. and you know it's yeah i I remember when you know i had to take speaking lessons (laughs) with some of the djs from the chicago underground and yeah that that was interesting learning how to (laughs) speak to people i guess but well, yeah, it, it, some people are talented and they, they can naturally speak, you know, professionally yeah. or with a, a good speaking voice. But some people have to develop the skill, which isn't a bad thing, you know, and I feel that everyone can always sharpen their skills regardless if they're already talented or not. You know, you're right. And that, you know, like being a hacker, you know, like I am, right? Mm-hmm. I Like we are. Right, like we are, right? That's that's what we, we did. We learned how to, you know, uh, you know, create a spot of magic on the planet for uh, for everyone to enjoy, and that I feel wholesome about. You know, and um, and I just wanted to say thank you to everyone uh, out there involved. Um, yeah, thanks everyone for the support. Yeah, we and it's you know, and it's it's your feedback, it's your love uh, and and support that really make the difference. And 
you know and uh that that goes without saying you know that uh there's there's never been any ads on the show and uh and and we're we're really happy about that you know we we we've never monetized our podcast yeah and uh i i feel accomplished in that that regard so mm-hmm. uh yeah thank you to uh 1 million of you guys uh you know again uh you, you know you've got me feeling special uh, all the, all the way around and uh, you know, on top of that, right. You know, uh, you know, the, the Twitter, the, the old gummo Twitter thing's been heating up lately. Oh, what's going on with that? Well, you know, just, uh, I don't know. It's just, uh, been getting a few extra followers here and there. Oh yeah. And meeting, uh, quite a few, uh, interesting people and, um, uh, you know, just, uh, enjoying, enjoying meeting new people, uh, so yeah, I wanted to say hi to everybody there on the uh, the, the the Twitter thing, the Twitter app. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I think we should run some news. Let's, should we run some news? Let's, let's run some news. You well, know, it's kind of an easy week. You know, yeah. it's you know, there's interesting things going on, but a lot of it's political. So you know, let's yeah, see we don't do that. Yeah, let's see what's going on in the news. Okay, you you know, before we get the news started. You know, I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, the uh, whole, um, I, I'm exceptionally pleased with the weather outcome here in Florida. Okay. Well, some people's weather is <laughs> yeah. so exceptional. Well, so you know, rub, we don't hey, have to rub it in. Yeah. I'm not rubbing it in, but I, I'm definitely, hey, listen, we've put our time in the fucking snow, man. Don't, yeah. don't get it twisted. Yeah, you know, it's true. not like we're up here high and dry, but we are. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Hey, we, we've been boots on the ground in the snow. True, but so, you don't got to jinx us now. But yeah, I'm not going to jinx us. But so anyway, damn, it feels good in February. It does. It does. <laughs> Moving on now. Moving on. Let's get the news going, yeah? Yes. Here we go. And here we go with the news, the latest news, and the latest news, and there's been a lot of it, lots of it, you know. Tons. Tons of it, and, you know, the first things first, right, the power went out in Texas since the last time uh, we've been here on the show, and so that's that's been uh, a constant thing. The, the whole thing that happened in Texas uh, was really... Uh, a, a, a consequence of uh, unique failures, and the the when, when the power went out, right? The the, the entire Texas isn't part of the United States grid, uh, power grid, right? Texas is on its own thing. Yeah, and it's still using a traditional power grid, I believe. It's still using traditional apparatus, mm-hmm. uh, apparati, in order to operate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they've they've literally been in the dark. Uh, they are now starting to come back online after literally what was it 10 to 12 days 14 days of, of sheer terror with uh no power no running water uh a, a, a clear and sheer humanitarian disaster unfolding uh in in uh texas right don't now. they have nuclear down there that I'm not sure of, sure of, and even if I knew, I don't think I could, you know. You know. I mean, because I'm, as far as I'm aware, those kind of power sources, unlike the traditional power sources that are still being utilized by Texas, I feel are a little bit more efficient, you know, solar, hydrolysis, all that other crap. Right. 
Um, I mean, how how are they even generating their power? Just old school. Yeah, so uh, old school, you know, coal, wind, uh, not not too much solar, right? And the 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 real bad part of it is that, um, see, in the United States, you have three distinct grids. You have the eastern interconnect, and then then you have the western interconnect, mm-hmm. and then you have the Texas interconnect, and the Texas interconnect is literally a 20-year failed uh, experiment of what happens when you have free market energy, right? right. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, people have passed away, perished due to these decisions. And so right. uh, uh, quite a nightmare uh, unfolding out there in Texas. And uh, my, 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 Damn, my heart is is completely uh, out there for them. And uh, props to Beto O'Rourke for uh, jumping out there and helping while uh, the uh, Texas Senator Cruz was uh, in Cancun. Yeah. Uh, so that that was a big thing. Yeah, and that was that, huge, man. Yeah, that's getting political on that, but still, it's that's kind of crazy. Just that whole situation in general. You know? Yeah, and that's it's really. <laughs> But yeah, I yeah. mean, what, why? Okay, I want to go ahead and comment, and it's. I think this is the greatest example of why we should be indulging in Tesla's research. Nikola, Nikola Tesla, it proposed wireless energy transmission and wireless power transmission. And this in Texas is a prime example of why such a technology is highly required in a society of today, like today. Um, it's, it's, we utilize so much power. So it only makes sense to just create one gigantic base station and then just start streaming energy to the, the different areas in order to route that energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really where we should start looking as, as a civilization in general. I mean, if you really think about it, you can harvest lightning using lightning rods. So why not harvest energy transmissions from, you know, some sort of base station somewhere and then retransmit that to wherever you want? I, I think that would be a better option than coal burning and wind, wind and all that. I mean, especially if people aren't utilizing solar and considering solar is still pretty uh, expensive. Uh, you know, I think ionization and things like that would be another route that we can look at. You know, and that's 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 a good thing that you bring that up. You know, with with nuclear fusion and emerging technologies, I believe that people need to take the power into their own hands, literally, quite frankly, and yeah. and literally take back control of you know energy and how to provide for your family. Yeah. And those options are out there. I think it's just getting that into the general consciousness of you know there's there's. <laughs> You know, so who gives a shit if you have a generator out back, you know, yeah. or, or if you have some power walls or the technology has existed for quite some time to power your home off of batteries yeah. and uh, existing, uh, you know, wind technologies and, and so forth. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's a good example. And, and thank you for that, that insight. I mean, that mm-hmm. I believe that's a great example of, you know, how we should be able to progress and, 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 uh, and encourage change in the, the way that uh, we live currently today and, and how we should live in the future. 
Yeah, and I'd like to add something onto that as well. Oh, and please. Not to digress too much, but I think it goes hand in hand with self-sustainability in terms of providing your own food and things like that. Absolutely. So in this day and age, there's really no reason, um, unless you live in a densely populated area that doesn't have land or any, any com- kind of community or communal garden or anything, to be able to actually cultivate your own foods and you know your fruits and vegetables and things like that even in your own counter on your countertop you know you can get little little uh tabletop planters in order to plant dill and basil and oregano all that all you know something simple that that again i i (laughs) truly amazing yeah you can (laughs) you you can really be self-sustainable and avoid the unfolding catastrophe and the catastrophe that happened out in Texas and everywhere else that exactly these things uh, unfold do do some thinking right so you can why most people have garages yeah in you know with, with technology being mm-hmm. how advanced it is uh, you know and it's for advanced. This month, it you can grow things inside these days you don't even need to have outside space or land in order to grow you can literally have containers you know as really a small all as you want them and and then you can grow food in them mm-hmm. you know as long as it, the plant is able to thrive you know you you can grow pretty much anything the only thing that i wouldn't recommend is you know unless you have the resources for it is um, raising like cattle or any kind of animal if you if you desire some sort of protein or meat or something like that right you know it the, that's well, the, most people don't have acres to raise cattle. Well, and that's in, what I'm you know. saying is, you know, that's the only thing that I would recommend you going to the store for or right. something is because your protein. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's so many other ways to get proteins besides buying fucking meat and shit. Well, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I, I believe that meat is, is one of the most sustainable forms of protein because yeah. human beings in general evolved eating meat. But, you know, again, that's diverging or digressing too much. Yeah. So, but the point is, is that, you know, power generation can be done by the individual. So there's really no need in order to pay the power company anymore or, or anything. It's just like cable. It's a scam. It's, yeah. it's, 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 a it's scam. literally a scam. You know, think about that, folks. I, I agree, Crash. I mean, and I think... That, you know, if people, you know, the, the people that listen to this podcast are, are enthusiast hackers and, and people who are curious. And so what we are doing, folks, is giving you a blueprint on how to avoid uh, being left literally in the fucking dark. And so, yeah. you know, do your research, right? You found our podcast. So go go to your favorite search engine and hopefully it's not Google. Yeah, well, I mean, either Whatever. way, you know, it doesn't and search search on how to literally take some marine batteries and put them in your garage and wire them in series in a series connection, and then put an inverter on it and then hook that up to your junction box. And you know, you could actually, you know, you can really uh, create your own generating supply for that too, right? Like, right? Like, put. Uh, a, a wind windmill. You you can create a wind turbine of out of popsicle sticks and put it on your roof, and then turn that. Have that turn a, a small power generator like an alternator or something. Think would, about it, folks. I would suggest people look into ionization technology. Ionization technology is way more efficient than battery technology. I'm old school. Well, you know. it's I'm old school. Yeah, you know, I, I think ionization <laughs> is a lot more efficient, and it's it's, it's starting to become a thing 
um, finally, after however many decades, but ionization basically provides free energy from the ionosphere and the atmosphere in general. You can you can take the hydrogen and oxygen molecules and things in the air and you know add an electric current to them, and you can and you you have energy there. There you have it. You know, it's it's crazy. You have you can, it's yeah. Look at ionization moving, everyone. Yeah, look at moving on. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Uh hey, listen, uh, uh recently a US woman charged with attempted dark web murder for hire was uh apprehended. She tried to do this all by paying with Bitcoin. Yeah. The woman allegedly presented a sum of over $5,000 in Bitcoin to a dark web admin as proof she could afford the hit. A West, <laughs> what? A Wisconsin woman has been charged for trying to solicit a murder over... <laughs> listen to this. To solicit a murder over the dark web paid for with Bitcoin. Uh, according to a report from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel... Uh, Kelly Harper used a dark web site to pay the administrator to have a man tracked down and then killed. Harper has admitted to authorities that she paid in Bitcoin uh, for the planned crime. Uh, you know, how is that thwarted? Uh, let's see. Uh, Harper allegedly presented the sum of $5,633.87 in Bitcoin to the admin uh, of, of this dark website that she could afford to hit. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy, you know, it's, well, yeah, of course, you know, and now, you know, she's, she, you know, this is a federal crime, right? Yeah. In the United States. And so she's facing, uh, you know, 10 years in prison for this, right? which, you know, <laughs> folks, you know, you <laughs> I don't even. Where do you? Where are you? I don't even want. There's nothing. Really I choose not that. to elaborate. Yeah, it's just kind of a wild ass story. <laughs> it is a wild ass story, folks. Think about what the fuck you're doing. All right. Hey, listen. Here's something cool. It is the Jomis Kate. This is pretty badass. You know, I need a new. I need. We need a new. We need a new dash cam in the hacker mobile. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking around uh, for some options, you know, for the hacker mobile. And I found something cool. Take a look. Check it out. The hell is that? It, it looks cool, don't it? Oh, it it, it kind of looks lame. <laughs> I don't like it personally. Well, it looks cool, right? It looks, you know. Well, my opinions are my own opinions. Well, yeah. Well, all right. Well, should we talk about it? I mean, it's up to you, you know. Well, I, I think Could it, be useful. I think I really dig it because it's the J, the Jomice, Jomice, Jo. It's the K seven dash cam, and it's the Jo J O M I S E Jamis Jamis. I don't know. Is that like, how you pronounce it? I don't fucking know. It's like it's Promise, the, it's but it's Jamis K seven dash cam. Kind of a silly name, to be honest. Is it? Yeah, I don't even know what the hell it means. What does that mean? I don't know. It, is it a play uh, on words? Is it? I mean, is it some sort of you know illusion? Like what? What the fuck is? What does that name even fucking mean? Well, I I don't know. But what I like about it is it has a little two inch touch screen on it. It's unobtrusive and it's simple to use. Right? It's real easy to get through the menus. Uh, it's it's a uh, the the lens uses a sixteen hundred piece Sony IMX four fifteen front facing camera 
with a Sony Starvis IMX 415 sensor for night vision. So, you know, I, I know what I just said is, you know, foreign to people. Does it upload to my phone? <laughs> what I like about it is it also has built-in GPS and a G sensor, so it'll record a bump or, you know, and it's really cool. And having a dash camera on or in your vehicle really matters these days because, you know, it really... You know, it puts you in literally in the driver's seat when it comes to um, having a, a witness for automobile accidents and aggressive drivers and, and you know, theft and stuff to that effect. So uh, I like this, you know, uh, I like this device. I think it's cool. And um, yeah, I just wanted to share it with everybody, I guess. I don't know. I'd like to see something other than cars. <laughs> you know, I think it'd be a lot more interesting instead of doing innovations, quote unquote, for cars, mm -hmm. which are still pretty, pr pretty primitive. I'd, I'd say, I mean, it's literally utilizing a wheel. Uh, I'd like to see something a lot more advanced than that. Well, listen, we've got one last thing before we got to wrap up, uh, you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got things to do. Yeah. Uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, a mysterious piece of Mac OS malware has been discovered. And the malware is uh, thought to affect some 30,000 Macs around the world, including the new M1-powered computers. The malware forces affected Macs to check a control server once an hour, but the actual threat posed to users so far is a mystery. Anybody can, you know... Can, any idea there you know no idea i mean is there is there information on how one gets infected is it just spread through email is it an app download i mean is it yeah, a script it's that's injected like it uh you know you know these things just you know they they keep uh you I'm gonna know go they, i'm gonna go ahead and assume that it's a remote attack for Macs that have some sort of software protocol open, mm -hmm. i.e. some port or some shit. Right. And so that's their attack vector, I'm assuming. It's hard to tell, man, you know, with... <laughs> With with you know each day right someone there's there's something new yeah and so the, you know so it's hard to tell it's hard to tell see again this is where I think that the the what I brought up on the last show should be a thing right you know instead of worrying about preventing such intrusions I think that people need to start acting as if the intrusions have already happened and so before even putting a machine online it should be secure with with some sort of software whatever uh, that prevents any kind of system changes without prior authorization yeah like the old deep freeze what, what was that deep freeze yeah it's like deep freeze um from pharaonix and is that still around Pharonix. yeah it's still around deep freeze is wonderful basically you guys are everyone uh, men women everybody in general <laughs> Trying to be gender fluid here. Anyway, um, everybody, it, Pharonix's Deep Freeze is basically a software application that allows you to, once you install it, um, have a, a quote-unquote system restore point where where every time you restart your machine, it's it, it restarts into the frozen state that you originally installed the software in. So if you install the software and and you freeze the machine and then let's say you create a new text file on your desktop and reboot that text file won't be there anymore because you created that text file in a frozen state 
So what you would have to do is, quote unquote, thaw the machine out, and then you can create your files or do any kind of changes. Mm, and know. it's very useful. It is very useful. And I'm, I'm actually on Faronics website. It's F-A-R-O-N-I-C-S dot com. And this is some really cool stuff, right? Uh, so, you know, you have different levels for different uses in cases. And so I think this is uh, absolutely cool. And I think that if... Uh, if if you get if you get to if you get to the point where you get uh, in a lot of trouble, you can always uh, jump back in with deep freeze. And so, yeah. take a look at deep freeze, folks. Uh, it's Pharonics, uh What is that? Pharonics dot com. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that's some really cool shit right there. Yeah, it's it, been around forever. I know that it's been around. Um, I mean, the technology is a little uh, slightly different from what I what I'm talking about. Right. You know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's still it gets the job done. It's great for enterprise. It's already established. It's trusted, and it works, and it works well. Right on, man. Well, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Hey, so uh, I wanted to uh, turn it over to you and see what's happening at the uh, in the old uh, hacker theater this evening. So, what are we going to watch tonight? So we have a great presentation by a great doctor named Dennis McKenna. He's a plant biologist, and I believe he's an ethnobotanist. Um, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but he, he gave a great presentation, and it, it's titled, What Plants Are Trying to Tell Us? And essentially, it's what it sounds like. He, he talks about the intelligence of plants and the earth in general and how and the different type of mechanisms that plants utilize such as photosynthesis and whatnot on a fairly high level and essentially what their reactions to certain things like sunlight water drought all that all that stuff and what they're trying to tell us in a more general level uh, such as trees flowering weeks earlier than they usually would and and food crops not properly um, being cultivated such as corn which aren't able to form nice heads because of, of droughts so it, it's it's fairly informative all right well would you like to take us into it sure uh, here's dennis mckenna and what plants are trying to tell us well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Prams, for that introduction. And I want to again acknowledge ICERS for making this rather amazing convocation happen. Um, there are just no words for it. I think this is a landmark event in kind of our species coming to terms with the psychedelic plants that plant teachers, and uh, I can, can't even imagine the, the effort that goes into it. So thank you, Ben and Andrea Costanza. All, all the wonderful, heartfelt people that make up ICERS. Um, so again, I'm, I'm honored and, and humbled to be invited. I want to talk about the concept of plant intelligence. Now, a few years ago, the idea that plants are intelligent would probably fall on deaf ears to most people, although probably most people in this room would not find this concept odd at all. 
most of the people in this room would say, well, of course plants are intelligent. You know, we can say that from our own experience. Uh, but it's not uh, an easy concept for many people to wrap their heads around, although now there, there is increasing acknowledgement that plants in some respects uh, display a kind of, a kind of intelligence. Um, and there, are even, there was even a uh, organization founded not too long ago, which was I think called the uh, the uh, Foundation for Plant, or the, uh, the Society for Plant Neurobiology. Kind of an incongruous juxtaposition of terms. Plant neurobiology? Hey, plants don't even have nervous systems. Plant neurobiology. Well, turns out, maybe that's not so important. Let me see here, am I? So, we can ask the question, what do we mean by intelligence? Well, the usual definition is the capacity for learning, for reasoning, understanding, various forms of mental activity, such as abstract thought. That's an anthropocentric definition. That's the kind of intelligence that we presume that we have all too often, we don't display it very well, but you know that, that is the kind of an intelligence that we mean usually when we talk about the concept of intelligence. But there's another definition. We could say intelligence is the ability to respond in optimal ways to the challenges presented by one's environment and circumstances. That's the one that you can apply to plants. Plants are masters at adapting themselves to the circumstances they find themselves in. And they do so through various mechanisms. Uh, we would do well to take a page from the plant's strategies because we, uh, as a species, often are not very good. We seem to be failing the test of adapting ourselves to our environment in optimal ways. We are bad students, if you, would, if you want to put it that way. We're not listening to the plants and what they can teach us. We need to listen harder, better, and maybe that's beginning to happen. It turns out you don't have to have a brain to have intelligence. Brains are one instantiation asset. What is required is not brains per se. What is required are so-called neural networks. Perhaps it's a misnomer. Let's call them hyperconnected networks. They're called neural networks because that's how they've been studied. Mostly you find these hyperconnected networks in nervous systems, but they actually occur everywhere in nature and you encounter them, these are the basis, these can be the basis of intelligence and brains may not be involved at all. Of course, in brains, these hyperconnected networks are neurons that are linked by synapses and that the synapses communicate with each other through neurotransmitters. 
And the brain is, the human brain is, in fact, one of the most complex objects in the known universe. There seems to be a correlation between complexity and consciousness. Consciousness is an emergent property in biolo biological systems that manifests at a certain level of complexity. And the brain is certainly complex. The number of synapses in the adult human brain is estimated to be between 100 and 500 trillion. This, it contains more connections than all of the computers and routers on the internet. So there's a gee whiz statistic you can put in your back pocket, save for the next cocktail party or whatever. But it's true. So the brain is probably the most well-studied of these neural networks because of our fascination with ourselves and because it is inherently interesting. The brain is basically a machine for signal transduction. Signal transduction in biology is the process of information exchange that involves chemical messengers. So it's a specialized kind of communication and of course organisms are orchestrated. They are not actually objects, they are processes in time. And this is all coordinated through signal transduction where a molecular messenger of some kind in the brain, usually a neurotransmitter, is released by one synapse, crosses the synaptic cleft, binds to one or more receptors on the receiving neuron, uh, but the idea is that the message is carried through chemistry. There are other means of signal transduction in biological systems, but by far the most common and fundamental is this form of chemical signal transduction. And all of the brain's critical biochemical functions, including our experience of conscious awareness, are mediated by this neuronal chemical communications network. So Salvador Dali, when he was queried about where he gets the ideas for his amazing surrealist paintings, he was asked, are you on drugs? Do you take drugs? He said, no, I, am, I do not take drugs. I am drugs. And he probably meant it as a joke, but it's actually a profound truth. We are biochemical systems made of drugs. If by drugs you mean these signal transduction molecules, neurotransmitters, hormones, enzymes, other, um, other subsets of, of biochemistry that are involved in transmission and modulation of information. So in the brain, it's mostly neurotransmitters that do this. I mean, all the others play a role. But interestingly, plant messenger molecules evolved from the same evolutionary precursors, or sh perhaps I should turn that around and say neurotransmitters evolved from evolutionary precursors in plants that resemble neurotransmitters. That's why when we ingest these neurotransmitter-like plants, like compounds from plants, interesting things happen, as you know. So 
in the ecosystem, these, these molecular precursors in evolution probably served similar functions to neurotransmitters on the ecosystemic level as, they, as neurotransmitters do in the brain. It's not really surprising that plants contain a panoply of neurotransmitter-like compounds that can act on brain receptors. They come from the same evolutionary and genetic origins. You know, there's tremendous uh, homology, I think is the term that, uh, that molecular biologists use to talk about the similarities in our DNA between ourselves and other organisms. Uh, you know, and we tend to be a little arrogant about that sometime, like we are superior beings. But I think uh, the degree of homology between uh, the human being and the turnip is about 80%. So, you know, you can think of that like we're 80% turnips. No wonder we're not very smart. I don't know. <laughs> Just an idea. Okay. So let's talk about plant intelligence a little bit. When I took ayahuasca for the first, for the first time with, uh, with the UDV uh, in Sao Paulo, I uh, was at a convocation that they had organized. And uh, I had taken ayahuasca previously in, in Peru, um, but never really had a transformational experience. Uh, but when I took uh, the ayahuasca with about 500, or wasca, as, as the UDV calls it, I took it in a temple outside Sao Paulo following this conference uh, with about 500 other people. And because I didn't speak Portuguese, I was really not expected to pay attention to, or maybe I was, but I didn't pay attention to what was being said in, in the sermons and the, in the talks, so I was able to go very deep. And I had a profound visionary revelation about photosynthesis, which is a fundamental process in the biosphere that actually keeps things humming, keeps life sustains life itself. And uh, I was able to participate in photosynthesis from the molecular point of view. I guess it's the kind of uh, mystical experience that only a, a plant chemist could appreciate. But it was profound. And it, 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 it left me weeping. And it left me concerned about the future of our planet and what we are doing to it. But at the end of the experience, there was a revelatory moment after I had been shaken to the core of my very being at the threats that we face as a species, as a community of species. At the end of that experience, finally over my left shoulder came a soft voice that said, you monkeys only think you're running the show. <laughs> and what they meant by that, I think, was that what I take away from it was this is the plants talking. The plants are running the show on this planet. If it were not for the plants, there would not be life on Earth. And so, that doesn't mean we don't have an uh, you know, a responsibility to protect and love the environment. 
to try to protect as many plants as we can, and do what we can to live in harmony with the earth, but in fact, it's not really up to us. Uh, the message was that the plants, the further message is, you don't think we're going to let you destroy the planet, do you? And I had to answer, well, I hope not. <laughs> so what is the miracle behind this? Well, it turns out that because of photosynthesis, photosynthesis is this rather amazing little discovery that plants have made, big discovery through the course of evolutionary time. They have figured out how to take cosmic energy from the, from the sun, capture that energy through pigments, light harvesting pigments, and they use that, that solar energy to make an enormous variety of organic molecules using sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide. Very simple reactants. And as a result of this, plants are virtuoso chemists. And in the process, they control the main factors on the biospheric level that is keeping uh, the Earth com uh, compatible for life. Because in this process, carbon dioxide is one of the chemical precursors and plants sequester carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and bind it into these organic molecules. And conveniently enough for us, a byproduct of photosynthesis happens to be oxygen. Well, we kind of need oxygen. Try getting along without it for a while and see how you like it. So this is a, rather an amazing thing. And from these simple precursors that you see in the upper left there, from that is spin out, spun out first the basic molecules of life, initially simple sugars, and then all of the molecular stuff of life that we know, lipids and, uh, you know, steroids and, uh, you know, all, all the main, you know, nucleotides. But there are certain, uh, certain plant compounds that are sometimes called secondary compounds, the ones in the orange boxes. And they are not universally needed for life. There are many plants that have different sets of secondary compounds, almost all plants do, but they're not needed for life or they would be in all living things. What do plants do with all these secondary compounds? Well, it turns out that these are secondary. There's nothing secondary about them. They're only secondary in the sense that they're not universally found in all plants. What these secondary compounds do is they serve a messenger function. Plants, a famous botanist once said, plants substitute biosynthesis for behavior. Plants respond to their environment through chemistry. They can't run away. They don't react to the environment that way, but they have very subtle ways through these chemically mediated signal transduction processes uh, of interacting with their environment. They use these molecules to mediate their relations with other organisms in the environment, other plants, fungi, microorganisms, insects, whole pollination process in plants is chemically mediated, herbivores, 
things that want to eat plants, and that includes humans. And the main functions are defense or semiosis, which is signaling, and or symbiosis. Well, defense is easy to understand. The message is very clear. Leave me alone. So plants make repellents. They make toxins. They basically just do not want to uh, interact. And they have ways of transmitting the message that if you do, you'll regret it. Things get more interesting when we talk about semiosis and symbiosis. Symbiosis is the formation of an alliance between different species, close alliance for mutual benefit. This is the way the biosphere works. Much more important process than uh, competition, which also happens. But symbiosis is, is uh, what drives, what drives uh, the biosphere in a sense. So these plant secondary compounds you can think of as the neurotransmitters of the Gaian mind. The language of plants is chemistry. They use chemistry in these complex signal transduction conversations with everything in the biosphere. In this way, they regulate interactions with every organism in every ecosystem of every size, from local ecosystems like your backyard garden to the biospheric planet-sized neural network that we call the biosphere. This is all regulated through these chemical signal transduction processes. So you don't need brains to have intelligence. In fact, sometimes, as we are a species, are finding out maybe having a brain is an impediment. You know, maybe, maybe we don't use our intelligence very well. Uh, it would seem perhaps that we don't. But you don't need brains, neural systems as such, nervous systems, but what are required are these neural networks or these hyper-connected hyper uh, systems of, uh, of communication and feedback. And in any given forest, there are vast neural networks that spread throughout the ecosystem. There are associations between the roots of trees, the mycorrhiza of fungi in the soil, and these are essentially the internet of the forest. And there's very interesting work being done by some researchers at the University of British Columbia that show that the old growth trees in these uh, arboreal uh, temperate rainforests are essentially the mother trees that regulate these uh, information exchange processes so that when there is a threat to the forest, an invasion of a uh, you know, pathogen or an insect, for example, the forest as a whole can respond through these chemical signals. So that is, uh, that's a pretty amazing process. And certainly that would indicate a kind of plant intelligence in terms of the, def the third definition. Plants have this uncanny ability to optimize conditions uh, in their environment so that they can thrive. Many of you have probably heard of the Gaia hypothesis. Uh, it's the idea that the earth is alive, that the earth is our mother. It's found in the most ancient traditions, and there's nothing mystical or, or woo-woo or, or, you know, this is actually hard science. Of course the earth is our mother. 
this is the cradle of life. And, you know, it gave rise to all of life, uh, including the most problematic species, the human race, what I sometimes call the problematic primates. James Lovelock in the 70s was a geophysicist. He was actually a, an amazing multi-talented person, but he was the first to put a scientific uh, basis under the Gaia hypothesis, the idea that the biosphere, the entire community of life on Earth, actively modulates the global ecosystem to keep up, keep planetary conditions within relatively narrow limits that are optimal or at least tolerable for life. At no time has the surface of the Earth gone above boiling. At no time has it gone below freezing. These are very narrow limits, yet for 3.8 billion years, you know, there have been great variations, but yet it's always stayed within, within those, those limits. So he uh, deserves credit for uh, this putting this on a scientific basis. Viewed from the distance of the moon, the astonishing thing about the Earth catching the breath is that it is alive. The I don't think we can hear it very well. The pounded surface of the moon in the foreground, dry as an old bone, aloft, floating free beneath the moist, gleaming membrane of bright blue sky is the rising Earth the only exuberant thing in this part of the cosmos. If you could look long enough, you would see the swirling of the great drifts of white cloud, covering and uncovering the half-hidden masses of land. If you had been looking for a very long geologic time, you could have seen the continents themselves in motion, drifting apart on their crustal plates, held afloat by the fire beneath. It has the organized, self-contained look of a live creature, full of information, marvelously skilled in handling the sun. I think that's from Lewis Thomas' book, The Lives of the Cell, which came out about the time that Jim Lovelock's book came out. So Jim Lovelock articulated the idea of geophysiology just the, as we have different physiological systems, our cardiovascular, nervous system, lymphatic system, and so on, that work together in symbiosis, if you will, uh, uh, to regulate our, our bodies, so, so does the Earth have similar processes going on. The major parts of the atmospheric, of the biospheric geophysiology consists of the atmosphere, the geosphere, the hydrosphere, the biosphere, and perhaps a subset of that we might note could be called the phytosphere. And it works in a very similar way. It works through complex systems of feedback loops to maintain homeostasis and equilibrium. So um, this, is, uh, this is how it works, is through these fundamental processes. The parameters that life regulates in order to maintain a habitable Earth are basically the temperature and the salinity, the pH of the oceans, the atmospheric competitions, the carbon dioxide, nitrogen content, again regulated through photo uh, photosynthesis, and surface temperature. 
All of these are critical parameters that have to work together, have to stay within critical limits in order to, for the Earth to remain habitable. habitable. They also happen to be just the parameters that we're messing with in serious ways. And we are playing with fire, literally, because we're potentially about to destabilize some of these processes to the point where they may not recover. Symbiosis, as I mentioned, is two or more organisms that live in close association, often for the mutual benefit. Homeostasis, another important process. It's a state of being in balance, a tendency to maintain constant internal conditions despite large changes in the external environment. And feedback is what maintains homeostasis, information that informs a system about the internal state and external conditions, essential for maintaining homeostasis. All of these processes work together to keep things running. This is what the plants do when they're running things. And of course, we, the problematic primates, are busy dismantling these homeostatic systems as fast as we can. The homeostatic systems are remarkably resilient. They can take tremendous damage. There, there have been uh, points in uh, the evolution of life on Earth when 97% of terrestrial organisms disappeared due to asteroid impacts or other problems. We are pushing the envelope of the, of, of the tolerance of these systems as never before. There will come a point where the systems are so completely disabled that they are unable to recover. And then, well, then we don't know, you know, but it, it, it's a grim prospect and we will probably see it in our lifetimes. So in closing, I just wanted to point out a couple of interesting things. The, the world's largest organisms are uh, mushrooms, uh, some species of mushrooms, this one here, and the reason I bring these up is because these are truly hyperconnected systems and they are gigantic. This, this humongous fungus, Amalaria, uh, in, the, in the forests of Oregon, what you, the mushroom that you see, as most of you know, is just a reproductive organ. Um, it's a tiny part. The bulk of the, of the biomass of the mushroom are these mycelial threads that run through the soil. There are a number of these gigantic mushrooms in the northwest and er elsewhere, and they, they know they're the same mushroom because they can sample the DNA uh, in different parts uh, you know, of the forest, and they get the same pattern. So, you know, the, the, the size of uh, this, this mushroom here is thought to be about a cubic mile. Um, so big, really big, and, you know, hyper-connected. Also, aspen forests are another good example. We look at an aspen forest in the mountains of Colorado, we think, what a lovely forest. They're actually clones. This is one of the larger clonal forests, um, and, you know, the separate we think of them as separate trees. Actually, they're stems. This is all one organism. This is all one tree with many stems. And again, hyper-connected. So that's very interesting too, I think.
Thank you. Thank you, Dennis, for having a very varied session. I don't think I have time to say much, but I do want to get one thing over, if we could have the slides, please, what plants are telling me, because uh, this is one of the topics that hasn't been uh, touched from the other speakers. Could we have the first slide, please? Well, I will talk about it with, oh, here we are, right, very good. I've spent a lot of time with uh, the Guarani Indians recently and done some quantitative ethnobotany and you'll see philodendron there was the second most important plant to them, one that they use in many different ways. I don't have time to go into that. But here is a plant that they call guembe, edible fruit, fibers from the uh, aerial roots, and many other uses, which is why it became the most important plant. But when I was there, having done all that uh, work, on another visit, guembe was in flower. And my informant, Elvio, said, ah, guembe is in flower. That's when we plant our seeds. And uh, then he sort of thought a bit and said, but it's not working any longer. There's something wrong. It's not indicating things to us in the way it used to. And at the same time, a swallow-tailed kite flew over. And he said, that bird there is the other indication that it's time to plant but it's coming at different times now. I don't understand what's going on. There's something wrong with the weather. And then he took me out to his field and showed me the corn, the ears not forming, because there was an enormous drought in his area. And he was puzzled about that. I think one of the things that the plants were telling him is that climate is changing. And all over the world I go, the plants are telling us that there's something wrong with the climate. This is a photo in the Royal Botanic Gardens queue, and someone studied the flowers of 300 species there. They're flowering now about a week earlier than they used to 20 years ago. And I worked as a child in the mountains of Scotland studying the alpine flora. But that's disappearing because gradually the lowland flora is creeping up because the climate is warmer. This is Humboldt's wonderful map, probably the first true ecologist, showing the zones of plants on the mountains of South America. But that is changing with climate change. And so my message is that uh, the plants are telling us that there's something really serious. Some speakers at this meeting have addressed this, 
but it is something that we need to listen to what the plants are telling us or else we're in great trouble. So that's what the plants are telling me. We'll have many going extinct if we don't do something about it. Here are two species from Hawaii. The one on the left has to be a carving because it's gone extinct. The one on the right is still alive, but until a few years ago, there were only three individuals of it left. That's what's happening. The plants are telling me, help us, please help us. And also, we'll help ourselves if we do. So now I'm going to uh, ask you if there are any questions. Please address them to any of the panel that you'd like to. We've just got 10 minutes for questions. So if we could have the microphones out, please. Please come to the microphone quickly, as we have little time. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, it was really, really interesting. Uh, I, uh, I have, uh, it's not a question, or maybe it can be. Uh, there is something which is arising with this type of crisis, systemic crisis we are living now, and uh, there is an opportunity to open our minds and to understand how we are related with nature, really related. Because our mind forgets it, and uh, our body, remember, knows it. And uh, there are arising disciplines as philosophy of the neurophysiology of plants. And uh, there is a philosophy about emotion emerging from our relations with, from our wrong relations with animals. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I think that is probably a comment and a very uh, useful comment. Yes, your question? Yeah, uh, mostly for Dennis. Uh, do you think maybe that there's intelligence at the cellular level or perhaps even at the level of subatomic particles like quarks or gluons? I mean, can protons possess wisdom? Uh, Thought I'd put that out there. Well, yes. I actually do. I think that, uh, I mean, this may be just a personal belief, but uh, I'm, I guess I'm what, I, what you might call a, a, a pantheist, or more accurately, maybe a panpsychist. I think that intelligence and consciousness is built into the structure of reality at the most fundamental level. So yes, uh, intelligent electrons, why not? You know, I mean, I mean again, as you, as you, uh, you know, increase complexity of these systems, intelligence gets more manifest, but I think there's a kernel of intelligence at the, even at the quantum level, yeah. Yes? Thank you so much for your talk. Um, this question can be addressed to all of you, any of you. Um, what role, if any, do 
Do you see um, information technologies, artificial intelligence, networked intelligence, uh, and the more sort of synthetic forms that are emerging of hyperconnected networks um, in the restoration of global ecology? Do you like to answer that? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'd like to see more human intelligence. You know, I... I, I I mean, I, I, I'm not, not, not putting your question down, but you know, they say, uh, they say, for example, the Anthropocene, this era that we're in, following the Holocene, where it's often defined as uh, the, the geologic era where the impact of human intelligence, you know, is having the major effect on the environment, and yet I don't see much intelligence in, in the Anthropocene. We seem to be making all the mistakes. We seem to be you know, doing everything wrong. So, uh, in that respect, artificial intelligence, I'm not sure what that means exactly, but uh, are, is, is that different than artificial consciousness? You know, I think that artificial intelligence is worth studying um, as a way of understanding what is intelligence, what is consciousness, you know, uh, because that's the big question for neuroscience and really the frontiers of science now is what is consciousness? Maybe if we could make a system that's conscious, that's not us, we could learn from it and maybe it could tell us how to get out of this mess. Just a thought. Yeah, exactly. I'm Thank afraid you. we have just one more question. Um, thank you. Uh, that sort of segues into what I'd like to ask, which is how do we keep the faith that uh, removing invasive plants and cultivating environments um, with native plants with future projected models that say that the climate won't sustain these environments um, other than to persevere in the positivity bias. And that's for anyone. Anyone like to answer, talk to that? É, acredito que com a prática diária. I think that with our daily uh, practice, our daily life, it's as if we were living in a in a constant fire, and we were a minute hose adding a drop that could quench the fire that could put out the fire. So if we all did our own work at home, if we looked after our own parcel, our own life, our own body, our own home, our own country, if we all did our bit, we could turn things around and regenerate the planet to make the most of the blessings of Mother Earth. Cool. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that was crazy. Well, yeah, it's it's true. A lot of the information oh, that wow. was provided, um, you know, there were some good questions in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's true. Plants may not have nervous systems or any kind of brain, but yeah. they're totally intelligent, and their reactions tell us a lot. Well, I am definitely, uh, now I am definitely wholeheartedly enlightened. And, uh, you know, now that we've, now that we've watched that, uh, we, we've, uh, we, you know, we sat around and we've 
BS'd a little. Uh, yeah. Let's go get something to eat, man. Right on. Yeah. So uh, let's go to Sid and Linda's. Yeah, get some seafood. Sid and Linda's Seafood on Atlantic and Kernan Boulevard in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. That's where we're off to. Yeah. Folks, thank you. I wanted to say thank you again. Uh, we, we have hit the one million mark. And for that, I am specifically touched and honored to be that part of that as well with you guys. I uh, wanted to s- send a shout out and greetings to everyone that uh, just really makes it happen. Uh, everybody that makes it happen. It's too many people to name anymore. And I also wanted to send a shout out and greeting to everyone on the, uh, the, the Twitters who I've met and uh, just say hi. And yeah, it's been nice uh, chatting with everybody there and um, yeah. getting to know people. So uh, I'm going to keep spreading the, the love. Uh, and I, I want you guys and gals to do the same thing right you know it's all about loving caring and sharing and you can find more of that on our website at hackers.xxx and of course on my twitter page where i where i seem to be now posting shit uh <laughs> at twitter.com forward slash gummo g-u-m-m-o x-x-x and again the, our website is hackers.xxx uh, where you can check out this show again why i don't know if you'd want to listen to it again <laughs> and uh all of the the 158 other shows that we've done in the past and so it's it'll definitely it's a time it's it's a time trip yeah going is. back almost six years listening to our show here a literal but, time uh, wanted to send uh, our our heartfelt condolences and thoughts and prayers to all of those uh, all of our people out in uh, Texas and uh, we're here if you need us you yep. know that uh, with that said I'm gonna get out of here man thank you uh, I've learned a lot yeah yeah it's good uh, good to be around yeah well, thanks for having me hey man always it's always nice man always nice when you hang out here at <laughs> uh, you know the, the whatever yeah. hey we're out of here let's go get some Sid Linda's and until next week we will talk to you guys later I love you all very much thank you for tuning in and until next week take care of yourself peace get it text a message I don't know the number flexing on these niggas every bone and muscle steady taking shots never hurting them even then y'all don't worry nothing and I like to give a shout out to my niggas with the game plan And shout outs on my niggas with escape plans uh, 20 bands, rain dance We can eat the rain check or we can make plans Pockets loaded, rocket loaded, can't let's rock and roll this Time to throw, lock, stock and two smoking barrels locked and loaded Diamonds glowing, chop climbing on them We think I'm jumping out the window, how I got them open Line around the corner, line them up the block and over Sometimes I even stop the smoking when it's time to focus My shade, DR, my pants, below Create, explore, expand, concord I came, I saw, I came, I saw I praise the Lord, then break the law I take what's mine, then take some more It rains, it pours, it rains, it pours I came, I saw, I came, I saw I praise the Lord, then break the law I take what's mine, then take some more Go weak, the knees